the memories. The clock is down to 48 seconds. 20 to 10, Colorado leads Nebraska. They have waited a long time for this. So many times, the red blood has come into Folsom Field, and they have gone back across the border to the north, the winner. It won't be this time. The Stories. Prukop to the corner for Carrington, intercepted! Colorado got it! Witherspoon! With the biggest play in Colorado football for years! And now, as a supplement to over 40 years worth of CU football coverage in the CU at the Game archives, here is Stewart with his CU at the Game podcast. Greetings, Buff fans from CU at the Game. This is Stuart Whitehair, publisher and editor for the See You at the Game website and your host for the See You at the Game podcast. Welcome to the 2022 Colorado football season. This is our first preview of the fall, our first tips episode for the year. If you're new to our previews, we will be taking a look at the CU-TCU matchup through the lenses of T for talent, the best players and the best matchups of the game, I for intangibles, things like injuries, weather, other outside forces that might affect the game. P for preparation. Does one of the teams have a short week, a bye week, rivalry games coming up? And S is for statistics. Stats that will make you smile and stats to make you cringe. Join us as we break down the matchup between the Buffs and the Horn Frogs. Las Vegas has Colorado as an 11-point home underdog but the CU coaches and players have expressed confidence that the 2022 campaign will produce victories and a bowl invitation. Are they right? Let's find out. Okay, and we are back to start the 2022 CU season. Joining me is Brad Geiger from Highlands Ranch. How's Brad doing? I'm doing well today. It's uh, been a beautiful start to late summer, early fall here in Highlands Ranch. Got the youngest kid off to college, so things are progressing nicely. Okay. And in downtown Denver, we've got the perennial empty nester, Neil Langland. (laughs) How's Neil doing today? Somehow I could just never get that nest constructed, but... um, You know, I'm kind of getting some football fever. It, if you're out early in the morning or out uh, in the evening, you can feel that crispness in the air. So I'm starting to feel it, and I'm looking forward to what we've got going here. Okay. Well, this will be our first preview for the 22 season. And for those that haven't been with us for the last couple of years, once we get started with the season, we will do a review of the previous game and then a preview and of the upcoming game. And it should be up and going on Tuesdays each week. And we're going to let this go a little early because we've got some time, but we're going to talk about what I've called tips. The T stands for talent, uh, which team basically has the better horses. I for intangibles like momentum, home field advantage, weather, what might be uh, out there that has an outside influence on the game. Preparation. Uh, Does one team have a short week? Does one team have a bunch of injuries? Do have a rivalry game coming up? 
And then, of course, if you have any contact at all with C with the game, you know that S stands for statistics and our love for all things stats. I actually went back today. I had no real idea how far back tips went on the See with the Game website. It actually dates back to 2009. So for the written preview, which, of course, will be at the See with the Game website, uh, this will be year 14. But for the podcast, this is year number three. Game number one, Texas Christian University. And as you guys will probably recall in the last episode, I stumbled over Texas Christian because it doesn't sound right because no one ever says Texas Christian. You know, it's just always TCU. Once in a while, you get a, a Brigham Young or a Southern Methodist, but you hardly ever hear about Texas Christian. So if you hear me talking about TCU is Texas Christian, then you must figure I'm the guy that uh, would be doing a preview of Pennsylvania State University. You know, you know that you've got a non-fan when uh, somebody talks about the University of Colorado or University of California at Los Angeles playing Pennsylvania State. Uh, right. But we're not NPR, so we're going to talk about Texas Christian, otherwise known as TCU. So... Before we start talking about actual bodies on the field, Brad, tell us a little bit about what you learned about TCU. <laughs> One of the things that interests me about TCU is that they have as much uncertainty as CU. It is three days before the game, and they don't know who their starting quarterback is. They've got a brand new head coach. They seem to have some idea what their defense is going to look like. Um, but if you get on the fan boards and that kind of thing, they are perhaps more optimistic than CU fans, but they are no less confused. Okay. Well, Neil, we've got a team that uh, changed coaches after 21 years. Gary Patterson got the boot midseason last year. They finished with a 5-7 and seven record. They picked up Sonny Dykes from SMU, so he didn't have to travel very far. Might not have even had to move to uh, take over at, at TCU, and CU fans might remember him as being the coach at Cal back about eight, ten years ago. So uh, early thoughts about a team that hasn't been bowling since 2018, or, or this a team that we remember as being a, a perennial challenger in the Big 12? I do have some thoughts, and I did a little research today. But first, I want to thank Brad for giving me some comfort for being confused. Because not only do I not understand CU, I don't understand TCU. They're both similar in that a lot has changed and no one seems to know anything about how they're going to be. I just did a little short dive into statistics. I noticed that TCU last year against mediocre teams or worse generally won the games they were supposed to do. But against teams with excellent talent, they just got blown out. Kind of like, it sounds like CU in that way. Okay. They have 10 starters back on offense, eight on defense. But with a new staff, who knows what that's going to be. I think their past coach, whose forte was defense, their defense deteriorated over the course of the year um, to the point where they were just awful, almost as bad as could be. So I... Not knowing 
how the old players recruited to Patterson's system will adapt to the wide open offense and who knows what their defense is going to be. I'm puzzled at the line uh, of 11 and how anybody could place a bet on this game. I don't know. <laughs> okay. Well, uh, Brad, as Neil alluded to, the uh, Gary Patterson was a defensive coach, but their defense was not good. Now they've got an offensive coach. And as much as Colorado has struggled, uh, you know, TCU had its share of struggles last year. Uh, theirs was on the defensive side for the most part, which is pretty much why Gary Patterson got let go because he was a defensive coach and they had a terrible defense. But Sonny Dykes is mo known for having uh, pass-happy air raid offenses. So something to be scared about coming into week one with uh, the baby buffs in the CU secondary. Well, yeah, we're going to be scared about that all season. Yeah. Um, in particular, except perhaps against Air Force. Yeah, we don't know what, what they're going to do. We also don't have any idea what TCU is going to be able to do in the air. We can expect that they're going to throw the ball, that they're going to come out, try to spread everybody out, make us play every defensive back we have, and make us stop them. Um, and likely we will not always do that. I my biggest concern in this game is big plays. I don't think they're going to do 12 play march down the field drives on us. The danger is, of course, that they have two or three 50-yard plays and the game gets out of hand. Um, that said, they don't even know who's going to be throwing the ball. They literally have said all three quarterbacks might play. Uh, now, if you have two quarterbacks, you have none, no quarterbacks. If you have three quarterbacks, do you have fewer than none quarterbacks? I don't know exactly how that works. So, yeah, Dykes is going to – this offense is going to be better. It can't be a lot worse than it was last year. and But we don't even know what it's going to look like. We know it's going to be wide open. We know they're going to throw a lot. Hopefully we can stop the massive plays from defeating us. So, as Brad alluded to, Neil, the uh, head coach, Sonny Dykes, said that all – well, not all three, but three different quarterbacks might play against Colorado. Now, there's different ways to interpret that. One could be is that they really don't have any idea who their starting quarterback should be. Another is that they feel that they're going to route see you so badly that the third string quarterback is going to get plenty of time to play. What do you think of the, the race between, we'll, we'll just say it's probably two quarterbacks that we're talking about, Max Duggan and Chandler Morris. Duggan is the incumbent, started 29 games, over 7,500 total yards passing, 60 touchdowns over three seasons. But he was benched when Gary, Par Gary Patterson was let go, and Chandler Morris came in and had 461 yards passing and 70 yards rushing against Big 12 champion Baylor and a big upset. And, of course, then in the following week, he kind of stunk it up against Oklahoma State, and then Duggan came back in and played the last two games. So... In your extensive knowledge and research and your inside information to all things Fort Worth, um, who's going to be the starting quarterback? I think they'll probably go with Dugan uh, just because of the reads uh, in the air raid and his, great, his experience there. They're probably going to start with him and let him go for a game or two. That, that's where 
I think experience matters a lot in that air raid leech hal mummy system. Okay. So Brad, would you you agree? Go is it uh kind of like the Colorado situation? You go with the incumbent or you uh have a new coach, so you start fresh with the new starter. Who do you think you're gonna see trotting out onto Folsom Field on September 2nd? I think Duggan is the most likely to start, but if you are the new coach and you were trying to take over a team and you knew for sure who your better quarterback was, you'd tell us. It's not like they're holding stuff back to keep CU confused. The TCU fan boards are already like, well, pick a quarterback. Nobody, the, the simple truth is nobody must have stood out or we wouldn't be in this situation. So yeah, I, given that, given the experience, I would think Duggan, but you know, Dykes is brand new. He may go with what he sees to be the hot hand literally in practice today. Okay. Well, and they, um, Sonny Dykes has been open with his practices. So if, uh, any of the assistant coaches while on the recruiting trail made some friends in the Dallas Fort Worth area that could go spy on these practices. We certainly would have a leg up on who is going to be the quarterback. Uh, but Neil, either way, there's a projected first round draft pick. Quentin Johnston probably has everybody scared. He's six foot four, 212 pounds. And uh, he's the guy that's going to do a lot of damage. If there's damage to be done, against the University of Colorado secondary. Is that the guy that we should all be looking for um, when they're out, um, you know, playing the buffs, that he's the guy that's uh, wearing number one and could be the number one headache for the defensive secondary? They have two receivers that are 6'4", 210 about, and they're bookends. They can both run. They can both get the 50-50 ball. The player you mentioned was their leading receiver last year. The other guy was not far behind. Um, I think both of those guys are going to give them fits. You can't double both of those guys. So it's going to be a tough, tough day. If, if we take away one receiver, the other is going to have a big day. Okay. Well, uh, Sonny Dykes' teams aren't known for running the ball, Brad, but uh, they do have a good running back in Kendra Miller, who finished last season with uh, 100-yard games in four of his last six games. But maybe we don't have to worry so much about the rushing attack, or is this going to be a balanced offense and Sonny Dykes is going to surprise us all? No. (laughs) I mean, this is not going to be a balanced attack. It's probably going to be 70-30 passing. But the bottom line is we're going to have to stop the run game with the front four. We're going to have to play nickel-dime packages. We're going to have to get pressure with the front, and we're going to have to stop the run game with the front. If they can run against a our front, it's not going to look good is the bottom line. Um, the linebackers and the, and the D-line are going to have to do their job and hope that the defensive backs can make some plays. But I'm not worried about them running for 200 against us. Okay. It's mentioned, Stuart, just very briefly, the O line, I just looked up their their depth chart. Not sure if it was the most accurate. Their front five is large. They were equipped to be a running team. They're capable of running the ball. I think it's just a matter of how much they choose to do it. 
Okay, so from the sounds of it, you know, TCU is going to score, especially considering the Colorado defense as it was constructed last year and for the most part as it's constructed this year. Not much optimism uh, in the national pundit world anyway about the CU defense. So if there's going to be a chance of CU winning, it's going to be outscoring. Now, of course, it goes without saying that the team that scores the most wins, but we're talking about literally trying to outscore the TCU offense with the buff offense, which scored 18.8 points per game last year. Fortunately for CU fans, the TCU defense was just as bad as the Colorado offense last year. So, Brad, let's let's start with you. What uh, what positive things can you tell Colorado fans about the Texas Christian defensive efforts? Well, I can tell you, nobody at Texas Christian thought very highly of the defensive efforts last year. In terms of a matchup against CU, uh, one of the ways you outscore a passing team is to hold on to the ball. They have some talent up front. I don't know that it's massive. If we have to win. I mean, when I say I don't think TCU is going to put together 12, 14 play drives, I think CU will have to. Their linebackers are okay. There's nothing There's nothing special at any point in the defense there. Um, they've got a couple linebackers who can move. But CU, the offensive line is going to have to step up. And we've all said that if the offensive line steps up, this can be a better team. But there is nothing that anybody's going to write home about about the defense. That's a brand new coordinator. They're moving to a 3-3-5. I don't know what they think they're going to do. I mean, they've gone from an excellent defensive coach who couldn't get it out of this talent to a brand new defensive coach. So the idea that they're going to get more out of it, I think that's going to take a couple of years. So if we can put together a running game, if we can hit a tight end once, just bloody once, that's how we're going to outscore Okay. Well, of course, Brady Russell was the leading receiver last year, but that's kind of like being the uh, the the, you know, the perennial best ballerina in Galveston. Yeah. Um, so you're a numbers guy, Neil. We've got Joe Gillespie coming over from Tulsa, where he had some success as defensive coordinator, going from a four-two-five under Patterson to a three-three-five, as Brad mentioned. What does that mean to the Colorado offense and going up against a 3-3-5 type of defense? It, it depends on how they deploy that, that front six. If it's the old West Virginia stack, um, they can pull all kinds of stunts and make it difficult for an O-line to coordinate. The down three are not large, uh, so that they may be vulnerable to um, double teams, power type schemes. Their linebackers are a little on the small side. So TCU is by nature going to have to walk a safety, one of their three safeties down into the box, kind of like a star player um, against the run game. They may walk a second safety down, but those are smaller players. So that may imply that CU will try to run the ball, will try to overpower that front. And hopefully they'll be successful. I have no idea who's going to be playing on our O-line yet or where they're going to be playing. We hear that players are switching sides in different positions. I think that's going to be the first thing CU tries. It's going to be 
to try to power the ball on the ground. If they're even partially successful, and if they can pass block a little bit, then that may open up the pass game. Uh, TCU was vulnerable on both ends, on the ground and through the air. Yeah, well, and they only had 11 defensive linemen this spring. This sounds familiar to CU fans. They didn't have a bunch of uh, bodies enough to run everything they wanted. They had 11 defensive linemen, and two of those were walk-ons. They actually had a walk-on tryout to get up to 12 so they could run all the the different sets that they wanted to run. So the defensive line is potentially thin, and you think that the Colorado offensive coordinating staff would want to take some of the pressure off of its starting quarterback and run the ball successfully. So perhaps that's going to be the game plan. Brett, I mean, can CU get to 28, 30 points with 12 play drives and successful offense that uh, frankly was not showing any signs of that ability last year? Well, I think they have to. And the thing that makes me hope they might is that we know that JT Stroud can play. Um, we know he can throw the ball. And yet he is in he is in a head what appears to be a pitched battle with Brendan Lewis, which means Lewis has to gotten better at throwing the ball. So, you know, there's got to be at least some hope at CU that they're better, that the offense is going to be better. I think the running game is going to be better. I think the offensive line, although we don't know exactly who it is, is going to be better. So I think just the fact that Lewis has had to step up his passing game to meet somebody else in the competition. Yeah. I mean, yes, to if for CU fans to sit there and watch, you know, a 28 24 shootout with CU winning will be shocking to us, but I don't <laughs> think it's impossible. <laughs> it's sad that 28 points constitutes a shootout in Folsom field. Recall that one of the games with Sonny Dykes when he was at Cal was the 59 to 56 double overtime game. Um, but they did win 41 to 24, which would be a nice score uh, when Sonny Dykes played his one game as a Cal coach in Folsom. So talent is obviously there. It's a Big 12 team. It's a Power 5 conference team. And, you know, they did win five games last year. They de did defeat Baylor, uh, the, the Big 12 champion. So Either of you have, I've got an intangible here to talk about, but then we're moving past the talent to the eye, the intangible. Any intangibles you see for either one of the teams uh, coming into the first game of the season? I would say that Sonny Dykes is taking an inexperienced team that was not recruited for his staff and taking them onto the road to altitude to a coach that at least has got three years with the team. That has to be some sort of advantage for the Buffs. Okay. Neil, do you see uh, any intangibles working for one side or the other? I'm with Brad, and I, I agree with everything he said. I think on the CU side, <clears throat> excuse me, the, the team has been battered in the press, uh, disrespected nationally. If they don't have the chip, the side of the number one flat iron on their, on their shoulder, then <laughs> something's wrong. Mm-hmm. So well, I think the, the emotional edge goes to the buffs there. Well, that's kind of my, what I was thinking about in terms of the intangibles that, and yes, they should come out with the chip on their shoulder and at the uh, 
the the buff luncheon that they had when Carl Durrell spoke to the the masses in the um, the, the in, you know the indoor practice practice facility. You know, he says, I can tell you, we've got 110 guys in the back here. And we're going to be at the very top of this conference. The prognosticators out there feel like we're going to be at the very bottom of the conference. we got a lot to prove. We feel we have the ability, and that gives us motivation. That's the proverbial chip on the shoulder. My only concern about that is that if you flip it around, Sonny Dykes' team doesn't have a whole lot of pressure on it, that it's a new coach. It's a new system. It's a new year that he's going to have a very long leash. And if things don't go right early on, they're going to say, okay, well, we're still working on this. We're still learning it. We still have the opportunity, even in this game, to figure it out. Whereas if CU comes out and after nine months of saying, you guys don't know what's going on inside the Champion Center, you guys don't understand how well this team's come together. You understand how strong this team is as a unit and falls flat on its face in the first quarter. That's a whole lot of pressure on that team to figure things out in game number one. So mm -hmm. the door can swing both ways that the bus can come out fired up, but they need to have some early success that there needs to be some sort of Touchdown? Are we, is touchdown the word you're looking for there? Well, I'm looking for touchdowns in the red zone instead of field goals, but I'm talking about you know some sort of confirmation that what they've been saying, what they've been telling us that you know we really are a good team. There's some tangible evidence of that because the crowd could turn on them pretty quickly if things go south right away. So it'll be interesting to see you know, how the, the teams react because both teams have new coordinators. Both teams are going to have new schemes. Uh, there's a lot of unknowns. There could be a lot of missed assignments. Uh, there could be some big plays in the first quarter, and you just have to accept that. But I think by halftime, we're going to have a pretty good idea of what the 2022 Colorado Buffs are going to look like. Preparation and schedule. Do you guys think that there's anything there? It's the first game of the season for both. Just kind of a wash this week. Again, Sonny's going to have his team as ready as you can be because we're the first team. But I disagree that there's no pressure. Um, Sonny wasn't the most popular hire at TCU. Um, they aimed higher and got Sonny. So I think they'll be well prepared. But unquestionably, CU has got so much to prove. They have to know this is one of their perhaps reach but winnable games. I think there's a slight edge to the buffs and they don't have to travel. Okay. Okay. Neil, anything on the preparation part of it on your end? I, I think TCU may have some difficulty anticipating what our new offense will be. And that's going to compound their difficulties on defense. I think offensively, if Lewis starts or plays, we're going to see some of that old Cepho Lufau quarterback power type game against that smallish defensive front. So we've got, I think, some offensive surprises in store for TCU's defense. Um, I think also the sort of a, a preparation intangible uh, sort of issue is the Mark Perry effect, is how motivated some of the offense will be to try to show Perry that he made a mistake. Um, oh, very good. Mm -hmm. So, 
how you prepare for an air raid team. You know, I've, I've watched Mike Leach's teams play many games, and it seems like in many ways it's a very simple system. Uh, there are just a couple of quick reads on every play, and you get the ball out. I'm not sure the pass rush is going to have much effect here. So it's just a matter of CU on defense, um, anticipating and preparing as it has before for a standard air raid offense. Okay. You and you have to tackle. Yes. You don't think just watching uh, Mike Sanford's Minnesota offense from last year will give them a good idea of what they're up against? <laughs> that no. was meant to be facetious, hopefully. I hope not. I yes. really hope not. <laughs> well, one thing on the preparation side that I actually think is a, a distinct advantage for TCU is not this week's game, not the first game of the season, but the second game of the season that Colorado is going down to play Air Force in Colorado Springs next week. And in talking with the defensive players, certainly aligned the linebackers, you know, doing the interview series this past spring, they were talking about they were doing summer drills preparing for Air Force. Now, obviously, you want to have that with an option team coming up, something that CU is not usually going to face, and it's going to be a big challenge for CU. So, CU has to be at least a look, looking a little bit ahead to the second week of the season, whereas TCU, their second game of the season is against Tarleton. Say again? <laughs> yes. The Tarleton Texans. Now, you might ask, what do we know about the Tarleton Texans? Well, actually, they are moving up to the WAC this year after a 6-5 and five season last year against the likes of Fort Lewis, Dixie State, and New Mexico Highlands. And then the week after fighting the mighty Texans of Tarleton, which ESPN's FBI Football Power Index is giving them a 0.02% chance of winning, TCU has a bye week. So the first three weeks of the season, TCU has Colorado, the Tarleton Texans, and a bye week. So if you want to put all of your eggs in the CU basket, the TCU coaches could certainly be, you know, forgiven for doing exactly that, while Colorado coaches and Colorado players at least have a little bit have to be looking forward to what they have to face in Colorado Springs in week two. Let's move on to stats. Do you want to talk about the stats that make you smile? which would be the stats of TCU's defense or the stats that make you cringe, which would be the Colorado offensive stats. Now, with new coaching staffs, new coordinators, new personnel, you can say, let's finally, finally, finally stop talking about the Colorado offense of 2021 and stop dragging up the 120-plus national rankings in almost every major national offensive statistic. Can we look past the statistics of last year? I mean, we're counting on TCU's defense's statistics and their terrible 120th ranked defense to come to Boulder. But can we completely write off the fact of, about what CU did in 2021 on offense? I don't think you can do it completely. Obviously, we're concerned about the offense, which did get better. Um, couldn't have gotten worse. But the also, 
Why do I think those stats matter more? Under a defensive coach, TCU couldn't play defense. And they didn't substantially improve their talent on that side. And now they have an offensive coach. Um, so I think that may be more relevant or than CU, which is changing its entire offensive strategy. And how do we say this nicely? Our last offensive coordinator was not a good one. So whatever increase in coaching we have, I think it's substantial. And I think there are reasons to believe that better coaching, more experience, and flat-out more talented players give CU a reason to believe last year's stats are not completely accurate. Okay. Neil, any uh, love of any particular stat or any group of stats that stood out to you? I think the TCU defensive stats are the ones that are going to be crucial here uh, as we're extrapolating from that to this year. Uh, adding a new system, a new coach, a new set. There's opportunity for confusion on that side of the ball and trying to be polite. They don't have great talent on that side. So this could be, if we are to believe and have any faith in what CU has been telling us about the new coaching staff, the new talent, how bad the offensive line coach was last year and how good this new guy is and how now our players are improved and all on the same page and healed and healthy. There is a possibility that this could be a coming out party for CU's offense. If we are to believe, again, what we're hearing from Boulder, this could be actually a very fun first half of football. Yeah, well, that's that's good. Yeah, going back to you know the intangibles for me, you know, the idea that that's that's the dream, that's the hope, that's what the sales pitch has been. So I mean, Brad, I mean, the TCU's offense was you know pretty good last year, thirty sixth in total offense, but only sixty fifth in scoring offense. So it seems like keeping drives to field goals instead of touchdowns and not giving up, as you say, the big play would be one of the key stats of the game, uh, the explosion plays. Unquestionably true. I mean, we have to, unfortunately, last year, when we had success against explosion plays, it was generally because of the excellent play of two young men who are now playing elsewhere. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> and that, you know, that is the frustrating part. There, uh, there were of times against other teams, SC clearance, SC had big plays against us. Drake London will have big plays this year in the NFL, I suspect. But when we were able to do that, it was based on the fact we had two quarterbacks who could play the game. That is where that stat becomes questionable. We just don't know how these guys are going to step up this year. Yeah. Well, Neil, any? Um, let me give you two numbers or two stats that stood out to me. Um, the obvious one is turnovers. Now, that's kind of a given in any game. But what stood out to me is that Colorado was 102nd in the nation last year in turnovers, gaining only 13. And Calderell says that's been an area of emphasis. But TC was even worse with only 12, 112th in the nation. So neither team, neither defense was very good at forcing turnovers. So obviously that's going to be an important um, statistic to look at. And then 
quarterback sacks, uh, again, getting after the quarterback. Once again, these teams were both terrible. Colorado was 126th in the nation, and TCU was so much better, 122nd in the nation. So if we're looking at the halftime stats, we're looking at turnovers, and we're looking at quarterback sacks and tackles for loss, would that be a fair way to uh, assess without looking at the scoreboard as to how things are going? I think taking sacks um, for TCU's defense, it's going to be important. If they can pressure and sack our quarterback, it's going to be helpful for them. I don't think against a decent West Coast offense that sacks are that big of a deal. They're just hard to come by. Pressure, if you can move the uh, the quarterback out of the pocket and get him going somewhere, and that means stunts, that means all kinds of, of fancy rushes uh, that happen quickly, uh, we might be able to pressure their quarterback into making bad reads and bad throws. However, since one of the principles of the air raid is to get the ball out quickly, uh, I'm afraid that we're, our, excuse me, our new corners are going to be tested. And that's the stat that has me worried is the number of cumulative starts in our secondary, which is a perilously low number. Okay, well, we shall see if uh, CU makes a star out of a, already an all, all Big 12 performer, uh, a receiver, and who their quarterback's going to be. Neither team seems to be too excited about uh, disclosing. Both teams seem to talk about using both quarterbacks during the course of the season. Now, getting to the, the fun part, what everybody's been looking for and waiting for, to get your predictions for the game. Brad, by the flip of a coin, you get to go first. Uh, CU was a 6.5-point underdog in June. Now, without TCU adding any players and without CU losing any players, and yet the line has gone dramatically higher. It's gone from 6.5 up to 11. I don't know what's happened in the last two months that would uh, make CU more of a touchdown, more of an underdog, other than the fact that CU is CU. The only other Power 5 conference team that is a double-digit underdog at home in Week 1 is Georgia Tech, which is a 21-point underdog to Clemson, opening at home um, against the Tigers. So... CU is an 11-point underdog to a team that hasn't gone bowling since 2018, has switched its coaches, has no decisive winner at quarterback position, and went 5-7 and seven last year. So is CU that bad, or what's going to happen on Friday, September 2nd on ESPN with the game kicking off at 8 p.m. Mountain Time? I have to say, I'm always... Week one lines are at best to guess. I my bet would be that there aren't a lot of bets on this game, and so a number of TCU fans buying the favorite can move it relatively quickly. I don't think CU's as bad as most people think they are. That's obviously optimistic. I don't see any reason to believe TCU is going to be good. So. I said in our preseason that I think CU will and can win this game, and I'm going to stay with it. Uh, I think they can win. I am quite 
willing to bet that they will cover, but I think that this is a victory at home. Okay, you give us a score. Again, I hope we can make it 28-24. Okay. Neil, you got uh, a team here that uh, in Colorado, I think the over-under in Vegas is like 3.5 wins. And somewhere I saw that the betting on the under was one of the most heavily betted uh, lines or one of the heavy, most heavily betted numbers in Vegas was people taking the under on CU at three and a half. So the national consensus, the, the pundits, the preseason magazines, the prognosticators, even Vegas has spoken. What say you, TCU at Colorado? I think the opening line is the bookies' honest assessment of how the two teams compare. How it moves after that like this is what people reading all of those articles and listening to all those pundits and all the negative information about CU is influencing people to move that line to bet heavily on TCU and force the bookies to raise that spread in order to equalize the money on each side. So again, it's the bad press and the bad reputation that CU has that's driving that spread. I'm going to go with CU. I think it's the under is in peril if either, if both of those offenses can do something. So I'm going to take CU um, to at least cover um, and to win the game outright. Okay. Well, we'll we'll put you to the, win the game outright. You got a got a score? Is it going to be a, a shootout in the 30s? Is uh... They got the fumbling, stumbling offenses and turnovers going to keep it in the 20s or the teens. What uh, what do you think would be close to being an accurate score for the game? Uh, I think it's going to be somewhere like 29, 25, somewhere in that in that neighborhood. OK, well, my prediction is going to be with the written uh, tips. So anybody that wants to know what my prediction is going to be, you're going to have to see it at the see at the game website. So. Um, we will be back and we will talk about the TCU game and then we will do our tips, our preview for the Air Force game. The 2022 season is no longer something in the future. The 2022 season is now something in the present. So thank you both for being here and your time and look forward to enjoying the, the season with you. Good to be here, guys. Good. Thank you, Stu. Thank you, Brad. Thanks for listening. During the season, we will be back weekly with our preview review podcasts being posted on Tuesdays throughout the season, with my written tips being posted on Wednesday mornings at the See You at the Game website. I hope that you are subscribing to the podcast so that you won't miss any of the upcoming episodes. We have partnered with Mile High Sports, and we are proud to be a part of their podcast network. As before, you can find See With The Game on Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, Spotify, and other podcast sites. Or if you're not a fan of downloading podcasts, all of the episodes can be listened to at the See With The Game website. I'll be back with Brad and Neil next week as we review the TCU game and take a look ahead at the matchup in Colorado Springs against 
Air Force. Until then, be well, stay safe, and go Buffs! Thank you for listening to our See You at the Game podcast. For links to articles and stories referenced in this podcast, go to cuatthegame.com. That's the letter C, the letter U, at thegame.com. If you have comments or suggestions, you can leave them on the website or send an email to cuatthegame at gmail.com. If you've enjoyed this podcast, please be sure to subscribe and share it with your fellow Buff fans. Until next time, when we will again see you at the game. Without the ones like you who work tirelessly to keep things running, everything would suddenly stop. Hospitals, factories, schools, and power plants, they all depend on you. No matter the weather, emergency, or time of day, you're the ones who get it done. At Granger, we're here for you with professional-grade industrial supplies. Count on real-time product availability and fast delivery. Call, clickgranger.com or just stop by. Granger for the ones who get it done.